to the mean i'm ryan huber and with me as always is nicholas seagraves hey nick hey ryan it's episode 30 of the mean so congratulations nick 30 episodes thank you it's been a long journey how do you feel in some ways relieved in some ways Mm -hmm. troubled would you say you feel excited but scared yeah okay well, that's good. For episode 30 of The Mean, we're going to be talking about a lot of things, but one idea in particular stuck out to us, and so the title of this episode is Beyonce's Shirt. Now, a few things about that. First of all, we're big fans of Beyonce. We're not here to throw eggs at Beyonce. We love Beyonce. Um, and we also are a fan of her fashion, her high-end fashion. Uh, and we're not even sure if we're actually talking about shirts here. We just know we're talking about apparel, uh, Beyonce's clothing company. I believe it's called Ivy Park, um, I think is her clothing company. Um, recently was in the news. It was a controversy about her company using laborers from Southeast Asia. Uh, I believe Sri Lanka was the, the country in question, although it could have been Bangladesh or, you know, for another celebrity clothing line. There's a lot of Southeast Asian countries that are poor, that have a lot of clothing manufacturing going on in them, and there's a lot of outrage about many of these brands. Uh, this is an old story. Years and years and years ago, Kathy Lee Gifford, um, while she was on Regis and Kathy Lee, uh, she had her own clothing line at Walmart or some store, and it mm-hmm. came out that there were kids making clothes and sweatshops, and she tearfully apologized for it, and vowed that she would fight the evils of this this industry where the basics are there are kids and women and other people working in factories in other countries making not a lot of money the numbers vary and some of the working conditions are really bad the conditions vary and the outcry is how can we let this happen we would never let this happen in the united states of america how could we let this be uh, this happen how could beyonce's shirt be anything other than perfect so mm-hmm. what what say you nick seagraves to this outcry well, there's cry for justice yeah. nicholas yeah well i think the other outcry comes from the fact that beyonce said the whole clothing line thing is supposed to be like empowering to women yes is kind of the thing and then it came out like you know there's women and children in sweatshops making these so like how is that empowering towards women so there's there's also like a, a, a ironic mm-hmm. um whatever like about hypocrisy it. right yeah so just basically good old fashioned hypocrisy all right so what can we, I? yeah can i lay something out that i think both you and i think before we even get into this conversation totally totally both you and i are sad when people have crappy lives We're sad when people have jobs that are terrible. We're sad when people are starving. We're not for it. We're we're against it. Unless all those things are applied to Michael Moore. Okay. And then I'm totally for it. Like, if he was alone and starving somewhere right now, (laughs) 
I really wouldn't feel that bad. That's but fair. Anyways, That's a fair yeah. caveat. Um, <laughs> so we are sad that many, many human beings, both historically and presently, live subsistence lives, live lives where they earn very little, uh, they have very few choices, um, and we don't think that's a good thing, and we hope that that changes, and we hope that we can be a small part of helping the world to become a place where people have more options and more education, and they're able to have cool stuff in addition to just rice. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're both people who care about poor people, and we want to help poor people. So let's put that out at the front of this discussion. But why is this even a discussion, Nick? Why can't we all just be outraged at Beyonce and say, hey, Beyonce, you're wrong and you're bad and you're a hypocrite, and then move on? Why would we even talk about this on a, on a pop culture philosophy podcast? Yeah, well, I think because there's some really interesting um, hidden uh, assumptions that okay. come with a lot of the disagreement and the outrage. It's almost like, I, I think when you and I were talking about this earlier, there's something weirdly conservative, I don't want to say conservative, but something that would normally come from a conservative point of view that... Um, is being espoused by these like rad femme mm -hmm. eco feminists mm -hmm. who social justice warriors. Yeah. And I, I think that's, that that's really interesting to me that for on paper, these people would be like the Pomo of Pomo mm -hmm. super, you know, post everything. Mm -hmm. I'm okay. Um, you're okay. Yeah. Like blah, blah, blah. But then when it comes down to like these, issues along with some of the other ones. I mean, I don't think we're only going to talk about Beyonce's shirts. Oh, no, we're but, gonna, we're going to talk yeah. about some other things. But these, in, in my opinion, not to jump down here, but these almost like, I want to say they're, they almost sound like theological politics statements. Like they almost sound like City of God type August, mm -hmm. Augustinian statements. Mm -hmm. start showing up and these like absolutes and this moral realism that is apparently very self-evident. Um, All right. So let's yeah. unpack some of these things. So what are some of yeah. the things that people are saying and what are they actually saying philosophically or what are they conveying or implying or presupposing by what they're saying? Okay. So, I mean, the basic, um, let's say like the most uninformed person who would be upset by this. I mean, the basic would be like, how can this be empowering to women when the women who make these shirts are being paid pennies on the dollar and work 10 hours and get no breaks? Okay, okay so, so like, the argument you know, is, like we... one, Beyonce claims to be someone who empowers women. Two, these women are working in what we would consider poor factory conditions for what we consider low wages. Therefore, mm -hmm. three, Beyonce is hypocritical because she claims to empower women, but indeed does not empower women. Yeah. And some of the weird, I want to say, like I said before, like the city of God things is what exactly are these, these working conditions being compared to? Like, are they being compared to American working conditions? Which I, I think... think so. an yeah, which, like, an immediate counter-argument 
would be, well, like, America has gone through an industrial revolution. So, like, mm-hmm. back in 1872, there were people, there were children in Pennsylvania mm-hmm. halfway up coal shafts mm-hmm. making, you know, doilies for people in upstate New York or whatever. So, let, like, that's a really weird metaphor. One of my favorite... <laughs> one of my favorite philosophical questions that I like to ask people because I, I I tend to ask this of Bernie Sanders supporters and other people who I think are operating out of what we would call an idealistic mode. Mm-hmm. Um, I asked them this question, which you alluded to, compared to what? You know, Winston Churchill once said that democracy, and he meant Western democracy, he meant like England and, and North America. He said it's the worst system of governance ever except for every other kind of system of governance we've ever had historically and what he meant by that is yeah of course it's terrible but it's the least terrible thing that we've ever had in actual real world history and and it illuminates the problem that certain bernie sanders supporters and certain people who are social social justice warriors and certain people who are who are um critiquing beyonce here one of one of the problems is they're not actually comparing the current situation they're critiquing with another actual situation. They're critiquing it to a made up situation or a potential situation or an ideal situation, which is inherently unfair. Like Nick, imagine that your uh, family member or boyfriend or whoever was constantly comparing you to a perfect person. Yeah. That's inherently unfair because a perfect person does not exist. Like if, if my wife said to me, Hey, like that guy down the street, he has like, he's more chiseled than you. I'd be like, that's fair. That's fair. Maybe I should work out like he works out and, and I would be more <laughs> chiseled. But if, but if my wife said, Hey, you know, you don't look like a Greek God, you know, you're like, it was, it was comparing me to something that doesn't actually exist. Like, I yeah. wish you were a little bit more like Zeus. That's inherently mm-hmm. unfair. And yeah. so my first question to people when they critique something is what are you comparing this to? What real thing are you comparing this to? And I think your point about America is a really good point. We actually used to have probably worse working conditions than they have in Bangladesh and Sri Lanka. It's just that we were able to develop our economy to a point where working conditions got better because workers could demand it and because people were innovating and things were getting better and unions formed and other things like that. Exactly. Well, I mean, and I think once that's brought up, the next line of reasoning is like, well, it's not really a historical issue. It's that we know now as 21st century Tumblr users, I guess, that nowhere ever should this have ever happened. And that's where it gets strangely, I almost want to say theological, but it's really more like just transcendent where it's like, okay, okay, okay. I actually agree with you. Like, just because children used to work in coal mines in America... It doesn't mean it ought to be that way now. Yeah. Yeah. Like, do I wish we could have maybe found another way to go through the Industrial Revolution than that? Yes. Well, and Um, indeed, most of the countries that have gone through their own Industrial Revolutions over the last 50 years learned from ours. mm -hmm. China did theirs a lot quicker, a lot more efficiently. They've, They've... almost gotten to the point where they can start doing things like environmentalism and start doing the things that you can do once you industrialize. Like there are countries that never had to have landline telephones. They only have cell phones. Mm-hmm. 
So actually, my argument is people are getting better at doing the Industrial Revolution. Yeah. And I, I just think it's it's strange that they would posit some type of, like, transcendent ethical value of, like, yeah. well, this should never, ever happen. And because it's, like, it's subjectively uh, wrong. Yeah. Right? And that's where... And that's where the interest comes in for me. It's like, yeah. okay, so okay, so this is a historical objectively wrong mm-hmm. period. Are there anything else that are though that is in that category? Mm-hmm. And even more importantly, what why? <laughs> why? Like are like what is the foundation yeah. of those categories? Why like, is what this objectively that? wrong? Where does this yeah. come from? What are yeah. your presuppositions? Why is a sweatshop objectively wrong, ahistorically, transcendentally wrong, but then someone else walks into your coffee shop and says something else is objectively wrong, let's say, I don't know, having sex outside of marriage, and mm-hmm. that and that claim is laughed at. Like, what is the basis for your claim that this is objectively wrong? And I don't, I, I mean, I've never gotten an answer, so I can't tell you and the answer is the real foundation of of this is a rebirth of common sense uh realism scottish common sense realism combined with pluralistic tribalism and what i mean by that (laughs) i'm sorry for being so philosophical audience but what we're saying is there's a very real philosophy being re-smuggled into our culture And it's a philosophy Mm -hmm. of common sense. And this philosophy came from Scotland. And it wasn't the first time people had talked this way, but this is the the most dramatic it ever was, where people would literally say, well, we all know this. Yeah. We all know this. This is just something that's evident. It's it's self-evident. And this is the way that people operated in certain philosophical circles 300 years ago. And people are doing it again. And what it actually is, and we've talked about this with the no true Scotsman fallacy, is it's a subjective appeal. It's an appeal to your feelings as a basis of reality. I feel like this Mm -hmm. is normal. I feel like this is good. I I have an intuition, i.e. feeling, that this is something I ought to do. Therefore, that is the grounds for my transcendental ahistorical claim that sweatshops are wrong, uh, that gay marriage is right that uh, the the Bible is the inspired word of God, whatever you want to say, right? Mm-hmm. It's grounding a rational claim in subjectivity, i.e. emotionalism, i.e. how I feel today. Yeah, without admitting that it's subjective. So, like, for example, I think it's perfectly reasonable to be like, I mean, because I personally believe this, but at the philosophical core of most people's belief systems is normally a subjective experience. And by normally, I mean 100% of the time. (laughs) And that doesn't mean that it's wrong. It just means when you recognize this, that for me as an individual, I had these experiences and that has shaped what I find to be important and what I find to be valid and what not valid, but cogent and what I find to be self-evident even it once you recognize that it makes it very easy and I think the person who does this really well is Socrates to be like okay well maybe I don't have a monopoly on truth so let Mm -hmm. me talk to other people and test their starting points and see what happens Mm -hmm. and if something wacko crazy comes up 
maybe something absurd, maybe I'll argue to the point of absurdity. I don't know if anyone's ever done that before. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I'll be like, well, that really isn't satisfactory. So bye. And like, and yeah, so, let's talk but, about this at a very basic level. Like when I have mm-hmm. a subjectively rooted claim that I claim is transcendent or universal or just plain true, and you mm-hmm. have a subjectively rooted claim that you claim is the same, it's transcendent, it's applicable, it's axiomatic. How mm-hmm. do, and they conflict, how do we adjudicate these claims? Like when someone says, it's just wrong for there to be sweatshops, and someone else says, I don't know if I agree with that, then how do we adjudicate these kinds of claims? Yeah. Well, I think a, a really a, a great tool for this is reason. <laughs> so, like, I think that what a Socratic dialogue is are, I don't, I mean, we're, I'm definitely changing the terms. So this isn't like a 100% conservative reading of like Socratic philosophy, but Mm -hmm. in my interpretation of it, I think it's showing how different viewpoints with therefore different subjective starting points, um, compete with each other when fleshed out. So if someone says it is always, 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 always wrong for there to be sweatshop labor in any part of the world at any time period done. Mm -hmm. I think a argument that could be brought to that person's attention is so what do we do with Sri Lanka? Okay. Mm -hmm. So like, is it, do we, is the solution, and this isn't casting judgment, I mean, it's like really being Socratic, you're just mm-hmm. asking questions, it's like, so would you say that we... Well, let's actually do a dialogue, let's do a dialogue. Okay, okay. I'll be, so I'll what... be the person who's against sweatshops. Okay, so okay. what do we do with Sri Lanka then? Okay, I haven't complained not... yet, let, let me complain. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, the sweatshops in Sri Lanka are objectively wrong, and they should never exist Ever? No. Ever. Never, ever. It should never exist. Those kinds of conditions are inhumane, and they're an affront to humanity, and I won't have it. Okay, cool. I would then ask, um, let's start with practical things. What is our relationship with these developing nations, then? Should we never um outsource labor to them in fear of it being you know we should not allow we should we should not allow countries that don't have just labor laws to we should not allow our companies to buy things or from them or sell things in america that are made by country that by companies or factories in countries that don't have what we consider to be just labor laws okay um would you maybe perhaps define for me a just labor law like what well, like you give you, me an example they have to be safe they have to be safe working conditions people have to be okay. paid like a living wage where they're not going to be poor for the rest of their lives like it has to be a fair mm-hmm. wage so if a country's not willing to do, to do that we shouldn't trade with that country we should we should use our our economic might and pressure to ensure that people are paid fairly okay um, the next thing I would ask is, I mean, and this is where Socratic dialogues can go in a different, 
in different directions. Let's if you, let it if go. I, Let's let it go where it wants. Okay. All right. Well, I'm just going to keep staying practical because we don't have to get metaphysical here. Yeah. Um, but I would I would say, okay, um, would what do you think that means for the people in those countries? Like how in a world economy, if America and the European Union, let's just say those two bodies, um, suddenly cut off all economic ties to Southeast Asia, um, what do you think would happen to those countries? Well, I think that those countries would have to figure out how to do other things where people had better better lives like maybe it's farming maybe it's fishing maybe it's like an industry that they start on that is just an internal where industry where they're not you know where they're not interacting with other countries necessarily but mm-hmm. at least but at least we wouldn't be contributing to their people being oppressed okay um do you know any of, of any countries besides north korea who are self-sufficient and don't engage in any type of international trade whatsoever? No, but that's that's just because we haven't done it yet. Like, we haven't tried... Like, if we really stood firm and said, hey, we're not going to let... We're not going to trade with any of these countries that don't have human rights and don't have good working conditions. If we were firm with that, then they would eventually have to. Mm-hmm. So by eventually, you mean probably for the first two or three decades, there would be widespread poverty and starvation in those countries. I mean, I don't really have an answer for you on that because it's hypothetical, but all I know is that mm-hmm. this, is, this is wrong and and we shouldn't let it happen. Yeah, so at that point, I mean, stepping out of yeah, character yeah, here, yeah. The, at that point, it comes to the point where it's like, okay, 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 so basically you just return to your premise. And in any mm-hmm. platonic or Socratic dialogue, when the person gets to the point where they're like, okay, you're being really annoying, all I said was this, mm-hmm. that normally means they've reached a logical absurdity. Which yeah. in that in that situation, the logical absurdity is, and it's very apparent, is Sweatshop labor and whatever is wrong because it contributes to starvation and poverty. Mm-hmm. But my solution to it is, in a lot of ways, and also worse. forcing these countries <laughs> yeah. to go through starvation and poverty. Mm-hmm. Which perhaps is, even and, worse forms of it. Perhaps. But the whole point is, this is all theoretical. So we don't mm-hmm. really know mm-hmm. anything about it. So, But what that really shows is that we're not you're not talking about absolutes anymore like you've are we've started to dirty our hands when you start giving situational mm-hmm. um posturings to things so like mm-hmm. for example i think a lot of people would read the argument that yes it is bad right now that these developing countries have poor labor conditions but eventually by doing this um which i guess china is kind of like the example yeah um by doing this and having poor labor conditions eventually it will industrialize enough that they will be able to start you know changing that for the better Mm -hmm. which people would say oh well there's a lot of human collateral to that and whatever but what we just talked about is that the inverse of it which would be i guess like an extreme embargo almost on these nations yeah 
would most definitely like this isn't even a theoretical thing no it's happened we've done it before yeah cuba was great cuba was Mm -hmm. having a really great Mm -hmm. time north korea iran yeah yeah that's why i loved i'm not gonna lie i liked the north korea reference that i made yeah that was very good but but it's like what i also say this we didn't even go into a historical argument like we didn't even go into argument of like what were these people doing before because logically if they're doing what they're doing now and they're self-interested humans which most of us are they Mm -hmm. stopped doing whatever they were doing before and they started doing this and if they stopped doing what they were doing before to start doing this, then by definition, for them, it's better. Now, that doesn't mean yeah. it's the best of all possible worlds. It doesn't mean it's just. It doesn't mean that that we've gotten there. But if you ask them, is it heading in the right direction? I think most of them would say yes. It yeah. was worse. It's getting better. We hope it continues to get better. And, and the only way around that, the only way around that would be a very, very radical Marxism, which I don't think mm-hmm. most people are willing to subscribe to anymore. Well, it's the only thing that you could, yeah. I've delved, say. De- I've de- I've delved deeply into that, into those arguments, like really neo-Marxist, mm-hmm. really honest, actual how how we would play out this this kind of a radical Marxist solution, and it always ends mm-hmm. with, well, the only ethical thing is sub- basically subsistence. Yeah. Like, basically, what it means is, if you're really going to take it seriously, we all should be subsistence farmers. So it will make all of us radically equal and radically poor. Yeah. Well, I mean, even if you're not going to take a positive view, I think an extreme Marxist critique would be these people gave up their self-subsistence because the ideology of Western capitalism Mm -hmm. said Mm -hmm. you need... I mean, in its weakest form, it would be you need TVs and you need Nikes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I think in a more honest form, it would be you need medicine mm-hmm. and you need clean water. Yeah. Um, which I think that's a little bit more complicated. I think if someone, I think a weak argument would be these people think they need, you know, iPhones and that's why they're willing to sell themselves. In yeah. The first two things, I, the yeah. first two things that I look at when I try to judge any any period of growth or not growth of a, of a country when i try to say was this 20 year period a good 20 year period or like when you look at china mm-hmm. like since the opening up of china and kind of the capitalization of china or how whatever you want to call it of the last mm-hmm. 30 40 years the first question uh, uh, there's two questions i ask how many babies are dying and how long are people living in other words infant mortality rate and age you know like lifespan uh, expected lifespan and usually what you'll see historically is that when countries start to participate in the global marketplace and there there are some other factors here so this is this is generally true uh maybe not 100 percent of the time but it's generally true that when these kinds of factories come to these countries when people stop doing so much subsistence agriculture and start doing factory jobs and then eventually blue collar jobs and then eventually white collar jobs, whether it's India, whether it's China, whether it's Japan, Bangladesh, South Korea, Singapore, whether it's Brazil, whether it's the United States back in the day, you'll see infant mortality rates go way down and you'll see life expectancy go way up. What that means is the economies are developing to the point where you have things like law and medicine and um, 
civil society is growing. And mm-hmm. that's usually good for people not dying young, especially as babies. Mm-hmm. And it's usually good for people surviving um, to old age in increasing numbers. And so all you have to do is go and look. Go look at like a like a graph or a timeline of a lot of these countries in question. See, are their lives improving or are they not improving? Now, sometimes we're really uncomfortable with how slowly they're improving. Sometimes we want them to improve more quickly. Sometimes we want them to improve instantaneously. Like we want to take mm-hmm. a kid who's 12 years old out of a factory in Sri Lanka, put them in school, get them a college education and let them be an accountant instead. Like right now, I want a kid that's working in a factory in Sri Lanka right now to do that. Unfortunately, it's more complicated to actually make that happen than to talk about making that happen. Yeah. And I think from a very classical Marxist viewpoint, I I think that he, he would agree with you. I mean, it's very clear that he believed that industrialization was necessary before we could even start talking about these social things. And that's you know really I mean? interesting. Let's let's I think most of our readers or not readers, we don't have readers. Most of mm-hmm. our listeners probably didn't connect those dots that you just connected. Yeah. Even if you're a hardcore Marxist, meaning from each according to his or her ability to each according to his or her need, you believe in radical equality of outcome, of life outcome. Mm-hmm. You believe that Marx got it right, that capitalism is evil. Marx believed that capitalism was a necessary evil on the way towards a truly just, sustainable, equal society. Yeah. And that's why you have these weird Maoist um, ideologies of like forced industrialization to kind of like speed up the process, speed up the process. Yeah. Um, because it's impossible. It's, it is impossible for radical equality to exist if people are still directly connected to will I die in three months during December? Like it's very, those issues because the government can't exist. The state can't exist. You need a bourgeoisie to to rise up against, right? You need a proletariat. That's a working class. That's an industrial class. And then you need them to raise up against the bourgeoisie who are a landed uh, upper middle type of a class. So if you don't have those things, the Marxist revolution can't even happen. And we're getting really specific with this, but let's even get more general. Let's talk Mm -hmm. about environmentalism, for example. To get environmentalism you have to have already experienced industrialization. That's the only way you get it in the process of of becoming to have, unless you just want zero medicine, zero technology, zero transportation, unless you just want to do the rice farming, never leave the village you were born in. You don't like the internet because you don't like server farms because you don't like carbon footprints. If you want to do it that way, we can do it that way. Go back to the dark ages. And it's super easy to do that. Just move to a country that hasn't ever gone through any kind of industrial revolution. And just subsistence farm. Mm-hmm. That's fine. The last thing you'll do carbon footprint wise is get on a plane. And yeah. that's fine if you want to do that. But most people don't want that. They want an environmentally friendly, technologically advanced society. For that to happen, you have to go through industrial uh, revolution. For that to happen, you have to go from an industrial society to a technologically advanced society, which means you need innovation, which means you need markets, which means you need technology. So this is why I say and others say 
environmentalism is a luxury good. It's something that is purchased mm -hmm. by wealthy people who have already had a, an economic explosion. So Beijing and Shanghai are really dirty right now. I predict in 20 years they will not be as dirty because there will be so many wealthy people who are sick of breathing gross air that they'll go, hey, we should probably clean this up. I predict that the 350 million Indian middle class people that are rising up right now are going to want cleaner water in India. That's a mm -hmm. prediction. I'm, I'm pretty I'm, I'm pretty sure of it. And instead of buying Model Ts, all these people are going to be buying Priuses. Yeah. You know, so they're actually going to do it better than we've ever done it before. I think one thing in this whole conversation, Nick, it isn't just the idealism versus realism, which is, you know, positing the utopian solution versus actually comparing real so solutions. It's the virtue of patience. Yeah. And I, well, it's it's the virtue of it. This sounds really weird coming from me, but it's the virtue of material reality. Like it's it's really, really fruitful and great to discuss things abstractly. And I think a lot of times people don't do that enough. Um, however, there's also this weird uh, counter functioning thing where it seems like people don't even consider that things go through change. Are that to go from a seed to a tree requires growing mm -hmm. and process. Not, people and don't like you it, and I talk about this all the time. Process people ignore process. Mm -hmm. They minimize process. They corrupt process. Process being and becoming are very important, not just doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that is what's really weird is that it's like well, how, I guess what it really is is like how much do you actually want this? Because if you really, really, really want it, then finding a way, finding the, you know, in your own limited powers, in your own limited reasoning, the best possible way to actually make this into a reality is part of the challenge of politics. I mean, that's why politics is different from philosophy in a lot of ways, and even different than ethics, because it's like, okay, but now we're actually legislating. So it's like, it's really great to disagree and to have conversations but in a lot of ways when it moves into the material world decisions have to be made without infinite knowledge and that's the thing it's like yes is in a hundred years from now are we going to look back on the chinese industrial revolution and go wow we could have done this and this and this and yeah. this and this better yeah it could have like, been much better it's like yeah i'm sure it can i'm sure it could have been just like we look back on the English and American industrial revolutions and go, wow, why did people in London ever go, man, some days I can't see outside my window because there's so much freaking smoke in every part of the city. Like, I wonder if this is great for us. Obviously, yes. But it's like, would, are we really going to, like, I, I guess the Socratic question in this would be, are you saying that either it's never worthwhile to act at all because you'll never know everything? Mm -hmm. So there's that's one solution, which is just mm -hmm. pure Don't passivity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or are you saying that even like I don't even know what else you could be saying like that honestly that's really the only reasonable you solution could, that you I could be see. saying you could be saying there was a better way and we should have known it, but that's not really an argument. That's just it's like just retrospective commentary. It's unfair. It's unfair to people who like, 
really what this boils down to with this it for me at least like outside of philosophy it boils down to also a a virtue of maturity Mm -hmm. which comes out of humility so Mm -hmm. what i mean by that is if you were sitting there as a 20 year old human who's grown up in america and has taken the social ethics of post-colonial international trade in the global village. So you're a barista. So you're a barista, just like me, and you're sitting there, and you now suddenly realize that you have the solution to the Middle East conflict in terms of gas, lean, and fossil fuels. You got it. If that has ever crossed your mind, I would argue, and maybe Socratically even, I would point out that I think you could get someone to realize that what you're basically saying is every person who has thought about this and made a decision before you is an idiot. Or Mm -hmm. if they're not an idiot, they're like the most corrupt... They're evil. They're either stupid or bad. Evil. Yeah, they're just stupid. They're stupid, bad people. Mm -hmm. And you are not. And that's... And it's like... on This needs to be taken in balance because I do think that there's things that are just like... You could have good insight on. Yeah, innovation is good. We don't want to dissuade people from trying to come up with a better solution. But it's about the attitude going into it. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you think you have a good solution, then I think the most reasonable and mature thing to do is go in and find out why people before you made the decisions they did. Mm-hmm. And if through all of that you still say, well, I think my solution would be much better, then you're at an even better place to make an argument for it. Mm-hmm. However, if you're like, the solution's easy, um, Israel should just give Palestine back. I'm just using this one because I've heard tons yeah. of people my age be like, I know the solution to this mm-hmm. incredibly complex problem. Mm-hmm. It's like, the solution's easy. Insert whatever belief mm-hmm. they have here. Mm-hmm. It's like, have you even thought about what anyone else has thought about in this issue at all? Mm-hmm. Well, you, and it's a, yeah. there's a saying that I think this illustrates, which is those with the least information often have the strongest opinions yeah so you know the people that don't really understand globalization the people that don't really understand the history of bangladesh and sri lanka the people who don't really get how this all works the people who don't you know who don't get the people who get it the least are often the people yelling the loudest about how bad beyonce's shirt is um (laughs) and likewise the people who know the least are often the people screaming about climate change they don't even realize that united states is not one of the worst offenders when it comes to global global warming or or greenhouse gases it's india and china and we don't have any direct control over india and china we can't even get india and china or whoever like we very seldom can we get the u.n security council to make any binding Mm -hmm. resolutions like never mind force unilaterally force sovereign nations to adapt workplace um regulations that we want them to to adopt like that that's impossible in our global order mm-hmm. uh and if there's another philosophical question connected to this of would it be just to do that like would it yeah. w- is it just if you have ultimate power this is like a back to our superman thing mm-hmm 
Is it just if you have ultimate power to force everyone to do the right thing all the time? Yeah. Like if we, because we could, like Nick, honestly, here's what we could do. We could say to every poor country and China and India, we could say, listen, if you don't change your workplace regulations, if you don't get OSHA over there right now, if you don't increase the amount that these companies have to pay in the whole world so that there's no escaping it, we are literally going to drop, drop nuclear weapons on your heads. Mm -hmm. We could actually do that. Like we could actually, it, it is, it is not impossible for us to threaten that. We have a lot of nuclear weapons. We could th threaten all these countries and say, we will destroy you if you don't become more just. Mm -hmm. But what's the paradoxical thing going on there? I mean, it's, you have no grounds if you're willing to do that. Exactly. I mean, that's, <laughs> there it that's is. the whole point. It's like, it's if like, you're willing if you're to like... force people to do something through force, then yeah. you don't have a philosophical platform to stand on to demand that they become yeah. more just. Well, or even your whole philosophical system is like human suffering is wrong. And then you're like, and to make sure it doesn't happen, I will literally wipe out your entire life. If you don't do it, it's like, okay, so I guess human suffering is not that wrong. It's the ever. upshot of the Batman problem, right? It's like, yeah. how far are you willing to go to force people to do the right thing? Are you willing mm -hmm. to do worse things to people in order to get them to do better things than they were, than the bad things they were even doing in the first place? In other words, yeah. are you willing to drop a nuclear bomb on India or threaten to? in order to get them to have better labor practices. And if you were willing to do that, why don't you let the slow nuclear bomb, I guess, of industrialization just happen? Yeah, because like, it wouldn't be as if bad. You, if you're willing to have collateral, then every argument about not having collateral damage is now void. It's void. Like, well, if and you, let me connect that to the globalization economic argument. The new, mm -hmm. the economic nuclear bomb that the United States has is to cut off trade with nations. Mm -hmm. That is our economic nuclear bomb. Our big stick threat economically is what we've done to North Korea and what we did to Iran, which is we will cut you out of global trade. Yeah. And in that, and and the whole thing is, like what we did in the Socratic dialogue earlier is. If you're willing to do that to a country, they are obviously going to suffer. Yes. Period. Yes. So it's like, if your whole argument is that no one should suffer, I mean, what you're really, and that's why I said we're not even going to get into metaphysics here, but like, what you're really frustrated against is that evil exists in this world. Yeah. You know, like that pain and suffering and that we're material creatures that require food and sleep and shelter and have to go through long drawn out periods of discomfort and pain like oops like this and, is and part of like the... just to be crazy about this like we could have a world in which very little evil was done by people who are not the official bringers of justice mm -hmm. like we could be like a like let's say a more ridiculous version of singapore if mm -hmm. anything you ever did criminally, let's say you hit someone drunk driving, let's say you cheated on your taxes, or let's say you swindled somebody in a business deal, or you made a death threat against somebody, or 
you committed a hate crime or you beat somebody up or you murdered somebody, if every single crime, the penalty was death, people would just stop committing crime. They just would. And because people would be dead that were criminals and other people would be too scared to do any crime ever Mm -hmm. for the most part. If you, if you could execute justice swiftly, but then that brings you to the philosophical problem of is violence better because it's been sanctioned by the state or more, even more philosophically is violence better because it's a result of the social contract theory is violence is violence less violent because we've agreed as a society that we don't want people putting gum on the underside of their bus seat. So when they do, we're going to cut off their hand. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also it brings just a huge epistemological question to the forefront, which is like, Okay, and when you get it wrong, government, and then you're which never only, happens. Government never gets which, yeah. Wrong. Like, and then someone's dead. Do, oh, like, um, <laughs> what, what do we then? like? Yeah, like, so do we just go oops, and then go? You know, part of the system are like because as we know from the last one thousand years of Western law, it's you know it's most trials are very clear cut. The mm-hmm. government already knows everything they need to know mm-hmm. about There's something. no bias in judges or juries. Ever. The death penalty There's... has always been carried out completely, re- like, with no regard to race or class or, or, mm-hmm. or money mm-hmm. or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so I, I think, you know, like, that's just, and that, again, is, I, I'm going to say something crazy here. All epistemological questions really have to do with the fact that we're finite material beings yeah we don't have access to perfect knowledge yeah so like if you ever design a political ethical social justice beyonce's t-shirt whatever system that cannot comprehend the fact that you do not have absolute knowledge you're probably doing something wrong and just Like, like do a little flag waving here this is why i love the original american system we got slavery totally wrong we got only white men can vote totally wrong. Um, but the thing I love about the original system is there's so many redundancies and backups and safeguards for the fact that we have imperfect knowledge. Like the president's supposed to be really limited. Congress only has two year terms. Federalism is supposed to keep the national government from being too powerful. We're supposed to have an indirect election of senators. Um, there, there are all these buffers and all these checks and balances. And the reason is because the people who set up the system realized how finite we are. And they wanted to protect on one hand from the mob and on the other hand from the king. Mm-hmm. In other words, they wanted to protect any one human being and their knowledge and their abilities from being determinative of whether or not our system of justice worked. And yes, Many injustices were built into our system, so I'm not claiming it's perfect. But that idea, the idea of safeguarding against human fallibility by dividing power up among as many different structures and constituencies as possible, I think is the brilliance of our system. I mean, I am not ashamed to be like, yay, America, in that regard. Like, that was a good move by us. (laughs) Like, like... We probably should have figured the other things out before we did and just bit the bullet and Jefferson and Washington should have been like, yeah, I could probably not have slaves. Um, (laughs) But other than that big oopsie and the fact that women had not been granted equal rights at the time, I feel like Mm -hmm. being able to say, hey, guys, 
we're going to have this system that's constantly evolving, but we all, we all know how stupid we all are. So we should probably always have safeguards against the fact that we're all stupid. Yeah. It's pretty smart. Yeah. And not even stupid, but delusional. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the big thing. I think people also can't comprehend the fact that it's like Beyonce in my eyes, maybe I'm a fool, but I don't think Beyonce is sitting in some diamond studded chair, taking a bath in virgin blood and like laughing maniacally. And and then like this news comes out and she's like, Oh no, people found out that I'm a witch in disguise. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, freaking out. Like I'm sure just like Kelly Ripa that Beyonce was like, I want to make a clothing line because I am personally interested in this. And I also think that women need to have a voice. And so I'm going to put shirts on, you know, things on shirts that say like, I don't even know what they say. Maybe like labias are cool or like I have boobs or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's exactly what they say. Yeah. I really hope there's a t-shirt from Beyonce that says labias are cool. And it has like, a little thumbs up emoji. And then on the back, it says like hashtag Yonce and like that, you know, and like yeah. as stupid as that can be. And I think kind of ridiculous that a high fashion clothing line can be said to represent the everyday woman, but like, regardless her intentions, I struggle to believe are bad, you know? And just like, I'm pretty sure let's say I'll be really conservative here. And I don't mean to bring this up, but I'm pretty sure, let's say, 20% of the people involved in the Nazi party weren't <laughs> weren't devil worshippers, you know? Like, I don't think they, like, went home and, like, mercilessly beat their children and, like, killed infants and did, like, unspeakable things. Does that excuse anything they've done? No. But at the same time, it's just, like... I think people don't want to empathize enough with someone to say, Beyonce probably maybe should have done a little bit more research, or if maybe she's kind of a fiscally conservative person and thinks that these con- she's benefiting these countries by bringing... Yeah, maybe uh, she's just a maybe she's just really into globalization. I mean, she is the face yeah. of Pepsi, so... That's true. It's like, maybe she really thinks that. It's like, what, okay, well... You know what would be hilarious yeah. if she started tweeting and she was basically, like, quoting Milton Friedman and other price theory economists of the Chicago yeah. school? Just being that like, well, actually, actually, like, if she set everybody straight and she, yeah. like, she made a video and was like, listen, I've been, um, I've been studying Friedrich Hayek's uh, conservative um, slash libertarian fiscal uh, philosophy for a long time now. And I combined that with a Chicago price uh, school theory um, analysis of the working conditions in Sri Lanka and Bangladesh. And I felt that it was my personal duty to open up sweatshops in those countries to accelerate the process of industrialization. If Beyonce did something like that, it would blow Mm -hmm. my brain. Yeah. My next music video is called a four point refutation of Marxist (laughs) ideals. (laughs) <laughs> it's it's really sexy and like she still has on like a power glove and shit mm-hmm. yeah no my I, next like, album is entitled in defense of the bourgeoisie yeah by beyonce and it's it's about me um, but like that, that that's basically what i'm trying to say is like there's so many 
hoops and ad hoc things that you just have to kind of throw on mm-hmm. to these counter arguments. It just makes them ridiculous. It kind of like, I don't even know what you're saying anymore. Like, do you, I, maybe I'm just naive, but like, it's very hard for me to even imagine every single person at the NSA just being warlocks. Like I just, I can't do it. It doesn't mean that I agree with anything that they're doing, but it's just, if part of your argument is that there's a group, like I think that's why the lizard men conspiracy gains traction <laughs> is that people are like, Oh no, 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 no. I can totally empathize with other humans. But the, the point is they're lizard people. They're actually reptilian mm-hmm. um, aliens wearing human flesh. And that is why they behave this way. And it's like, oh, okay. I mean, in a lot of ways, that's almost kind of reasonable in like a really weird <laughs> Alice in true, Wonderland if it's type true, of reasoning. It's completely reasonable. Yeah. It's like, but I just, I don't understand these arguments that are just like, the only reason, the only reason North Carolina is having issues with transgender people in bathrooms is because every single person in North Carolina is a repressed pure puritanical homophobic asshole Mm -hmm. they're just all assholes it's like um i disagree with north carolina's state legislature on this Mm -hmm. stuff but um i also don't see it as something that warrants personal attack or maybe even maybe should come up with an argument or something so i think one of the things that's um this episode is obviously not about the North Carolina bathroom law, but I think mm-hmm. one thing that's really interesting to me about these discussions is very, like even the religious freedom thing in Indiana and anything related, right? Anything related to that is most people actually have never read even a summary of the actual legislation that's been proposed. Mm-hmm. And so when, when we talk about these things, we're not even actually talking about reality. We're talking about a really impressionistic uh version of reality like for example just when i started to look into it um the whole bathroom law thing started because charlotte passed a certain law and then Mm -hmm. in order to counter that law north carolina passed a certain law and now obama has has dictated that the federal government you know unilaterally is basically saying if it's a public thing and it has any federal money attached to it we will pull you know we will pull federal funding from you so it's basically on one level it's this city state federal thing on -hmm. another level like the north carolina bathroom law says says you must provide accommodations to to trans people like it's part of the Mm -hmm. law but no one would say that right because it's not fun to tweet about something that has nuance built into it so even if you disagree (laughs) with the law like i don't even know if i agree or disagree i'd have to think more about it but even if you even if you disagree with the law you should probably know what the law says before you agree or disagree with it because like if it says hey we're not gonna we're not gonna have bathrooms based on um subjective identification of gender we're gonna have actually have them based on biological sex but Mm -hmm all public facilities must provide accommodation for for trans people. That's a little bit of a different starting point than a law that says trans people aren't allowed to use the bathroom of their choice. 
And I think one of the problems with these arguments is that none of us actually start, well, not none of us, but very few of us actually start from a position of knowledge. And, and I'm just going to loop back around and, and relate it to the point that you brought up earlier, which is mm -hmm. when we act like we have perfect knowledge, we're already probably going to be way off at the end of our argument. So, yeah. so acknowledging our limitations, the limitations of our knowledge, and then trying to correct them as much as possible by getting the best knowledge, by getting... Um, as Donald Trump would say, the best words, the best thoughts. Uh, people tell me I have the best words. Um, by trying to get that knowledge so that we can actually give an accurate representation of what's going on, that that would actually solve a lot of the arguing and a lot of the problems um, and controversies that are going on. Like, let me bring up another one as we kind of wrap up. The, the Blake Lively tweeting, or she didn't tweet, she Instagrammed a picture of her face and a picture of her butt because she just had a kid and she was commenting on how big her butt had gotten during pregnancy. And she did the quote, an LA face with an Oakland butt, which is a line from a Sir Mix-a-Lot song, Baby Got Back from 1992. Oakland booty. Booty, Oakland sorry, with an Oakland booty. And there was a huge poop storm on the internet about how she was appropriating black culture and making a joke out of black women's bodies. Um, and I would simply ask, do we know that Sir Mix-a-Lot was only talking about black women's bodies because sir mix a lot i think if you asked him have you ever been attracted to a white woman that had a large posterior my guess is that he would say yes and were you including those babies who got back in your song your 1992 song would you admit into the got back club a a lady that had light skin but indeed had the kind of figure you're talking about I think he would say yes, and indeed, if you asked him had he ever had sexual relations with a white woman of that of that kind of figure, he would probably also say yes. And so, starting from a point of assuming that something is cultural appropriation, assuming that something is only about black women's bodies, and assuming that there was some kind of harm intended, I think makes a conversation a lot different than it would be if we were taking information seriously, which we're not because there's entire, as we've discussed in other podcasts, um, episodes, there are entire industries devoted to manufacturing outrage. That's literally what gets them clicks on their blogs. So, Also, how does one take information seriously when it is based off of a rap novelty song? Like that, to me, that is the most like apparent issue about these types of things. It's like, yeah. this is Beyonce's shirt. Mm -hmm. This is Beyonce's shirt. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. It's it is not nuclear war. It is not North Koreans' policies towards blah, blah, blah. It is Beyonce's clothing line. And at least that has some socioeconomic overtones to it. But a Sir Mix-a-Lot song mm -hmm. suddenly being the zenith of African-American cultural expression mm -hmm. is... Well is that even to that is point, that even a serious like to, thing? To that point, I would like to read the lyrics to "Baby Got Back" as a closing. Okay, as a closing okay. to show that people were really insulted by Blake Lively appropriating this cultural tradition, making a joke mm -hmm. of a very serious song that was in praise of the female, the African female body. Here is in a, praise. <clears throat> here is a dramatic reading of Sir Mix-a-Lot's lyrics to "Baby Got Back." Oh my God, Becky. Look at her butt. It is so big. She looks like one of those rap guys' girlfriends. But you know, who understands those rap guys? 
They only talk to her because she looks like a total prostitute, okay? I mean, her butt is just so big. I can't believe it's just so round. It's like out there. I mean, gross. Look, she's just so black. I like big butts and I cannot lie. You other brothers can't deny that when a girl walks in with an itty-bitty waist and a round thing in your face, you get sprung. Want to pull out your tough because you noticed that okay. butt was stuffed. Deep in the jeans she's wearing, I'm hooked and I can't stop staring. Oh, baby, I want to get with you and take, and take your picture. Actually, it's, oh, baby, I want to get with you and take your picture. My homeboys okay. try to warn me, but that butt you got makes me so horny. Ooh, rump o' oh, smooth skin, you say you want to get in my bends? Well, use me, use me, because you ain't that average groupie. I've seen them dancing, to hell with romancing. She's sweat, wet, got it going like a turbo vet. I'm tired of magazines saying flat butts are the thing. Take the ever average black man and ask him that. She got a pack much back. So fellas, yeah. Fellas, yeah. Has your girlfriend got that butt? Hell yeah. Tell him to shake it, shake it, shake it, shake it, shake that healthy butt. Baby got back. L.A. face with Oakland booty. Baby got back. L.A. face with Oakland booty. L.A. face with Oakland booty. I like them round and big, and when, I throw, when I'm throwing a gig, I just can't help myself. I'm acting like an animal. Now here's my scandal. I want to get you home and, uh, double up, uh, uh, I ain't talking about Playboy, because silicone parts are made for toys. I want them real thick and juicy, so find that juicy double, mix a lot's in trouble, begging for a piece of that bubble. So I'm looking at rock videos, knock-kneaded bimbos walking like hoes. You can have them, bimbos. I'll keep my women like Flojo. A word to the thick soul sisters, I want to get with ya. I won't cuss or hit ya. But I gotta be straight when I say I want to, F word. Till the break of dawn, baby got it going on. A lot of simps won't like this song, cause them punks like to hit it and quit it. And I'd rather stay and play, cause I'm long and I'm strong. And I'm down to get the friction on. So ladies, yeah, ladies, yeah. If you want to roll in my Mercedes, yeah, then turn around, stick it out. Even white boys got to shout. Baby got back. I can't even read the rest because there's so much of it. But yeah, I think I mean, you guys it just, understand. It just stands out. I think you guys understand that this is a, a really important, hard-hitting, cultural piece, artifact. Um, and it's something that we have to deal with. And appropriating it uh, as a white female... Um, is something that's 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 very problematic. Yeah, as a rock music bimbo, is something that you know. And remember, my anaconda don't want none unless you've got buns, hon. I would hate to be around him and be like a petite build African American woman. Yeah, what about African like, American women women who don't? Are have you large just like butts? a failure? Are you just mm -hmm. like a, you like haven't? Like, you don't serve your own, mm -hmm. like, racial needs, I guess, maybe? I don't know. That seems strange. Also, I mean, obviously it's great that men want sex and women want 
I guess, rides in automobiles? Yeah, or with do a they, desire are, to ride in, in expensive luxury automobiles. Uh, do they get to own them, or is it just a, a, just a ride? Is it, does he seem like he would give it to her, or just like, it's just a ride for tonight? I First of all, I feel like Sir Mix-a-Lot... Can you consult the text first? I'm trying. um, (laughs) Sir Mix-a-Lot seems to be... He seems to be someone who's a a respecter of women. Okay. An appreciator of women. Okay. um, Particularly black women. uh, Particularly women with large posteriors. And um, he would like to have sex with these kinds of women. It doesn't seem like he only wants to have sex with one of them, though. It seems like he wants to have sex with a lot of them. Um, yeah. And he he says, to hell with romancing. So he's not really... He's not really concerned with romance. He's he's about sex uh, and cars and butts and his anaconda. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that um, he's really standing up for women when he says, uh, silicone parts are made for toys. He doesn't he doesn't want silicone parts, so he's anti. He's anti um, plastic surgery. I wonder what he feels about plastic surgery um, for trans people. I wonder if he's against that or if he's for it. Yeah, that'd be. You know, that text really brings up that question in mm-hmm. a lot of ways, and I, I. It'd be interesting for someone to write a doctoral thesis on that question, and I think our culture needs that mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, especially in respect to. Nicki Minaj sampling the song for her female empowerment anthem, Anaconda. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was probably know. a callback to this text. I would imagine so. As we know, Nicki Minaj is completely free of plastic surgery and in a, in a, I think, pretty decently accurate representation of the average woman of color mm-hmm. and what we should expect from their lifestyle mm-hmm. and bodies. So... Yeah, yeah, so also, you know, I don't think he's interested in girls that are actually overweight because he says, your waist is small and your curves are kicking. So he still yeah. wants a woman who has a small waist. He just wants a woman who has a small waist and a lot of curves, yeah. um, which is obviously so not... he's fatphobic. He is yeah. fatphobic, and he's, okay. a, and he's transphobic, and mm-hmm. um, he's not into romance, so feminists aren't going to like him. There's not yeah. a lot of people who would like him. This brings well, me apparently... to, to one final point as, as we kind of close. I wanted to ask you, what are we going to do in our culture and in our society where we have a song like Baby Got Back or we got like a like a callback and then uh, a, a woman of privilege, a white woman like Blake Lively, you know, references it and then she's told not to. What are we what, what's the singularity we're heading towards to where you have black culture, you have trans culture, you have gay culture, you have feminist culture, you have traditional culture. And none of these people seem to agree on anything ever. How are we going to get anything done in the future? Even let's say that you are a progressive, you're part of the Obama coalition. Mm-hmm. How are we going to get anything done if even the most radically kind of like progressive people, let's say, let's just limit it to feminist, trans, gay, and African-Americans, um, progressive African-Americans, that those four groups of people how are they ever going to be able to get together and be empowered when like, we can't agree on anything. We can't agree on what's okay to say about women. What's okay to say about gay people, 
who's appropriating what. Like, it just seems like it's kind of a, a sticky web now where we've become yeah. so tribalized. And I know this is kind of a topic for another day, but kind of bringing it back to um, the subjectivity of truth and mm -hmm. how we have competing claims that need to be adjudicated. If we don't yeah. have a basis upon which to adjudicate them, how are we going to even have conversations? Yeah, well, that song, and not to, you know, obviously it was a joke, what we were just doing, we were over-exaggerating, but, like, that song is actually a perfect nexus of, of that. Because on one hand, it obviously is talking about women's body parts before talking about them. You yeah, know, like it's ex almost exclusive. Yeah, their their bodies precede any discussion. I don't even think he brings up their interior mental state. Their feelings or who they are yeah. as human beings. No. Yeah. So there's that. So obviously any feminist who would have a problem with blurred lines should also have a problem with mm -hmm. Baby got back, which almost seems like ridiculous. I even have to say that. I mean, this yeah. is a song. So let's say fem about... feminists, to be consistent, feminists would be against the song. Yeah. Second of all, he samples the me so horny mm -hmm. uh, thing from, is that Apocalypse Now? Yeah. Yeah. Or is that a, Full Metal Jacket? Well, it's one of the Asian American movies. Vietnamese prostitute kind of turning Asian women into like comfort women or objects. Yeah. So there's that, which a lot of, I think people would say is a negative Asian stereotype. Mm -hmm. So that's racist. So that's racist and he's mm -hmm. not Asian. So he can't even mm -hmm. like claim that. So there's a form of stereotyping in mm -hmm. there. Also, there's a form of positive racial stereotyping in saying mm -hmm. that black men, all black men agree that they like women with larger Horrific. butts. Yep. Yeah. So it's like, and even white people sometimes can agree if mm -hmm. the butt is big enough. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and rock girls who are in the rock culture are bimbos and hoes. Mm -hmm. So they're obviously worthless as human mm -hmm. beings. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and it's like, okay, okay, okay. So if you're going to analyze something in death, all of these different groups, and then obviously trans people, like where would that even fit into any of this conversation whatsoever? Well, everything in this conversation is based on heteronormativity, right? Exactly. And yeah. upon gender norms and upon uh, cisgendered people and upon um, uh, old-fashioned traditional male and female gender stereotypes and roles. Yeah, which is the man having authority and wealth mm -hmm. and whatever. And, and the, the woman, woman being curvy and soft her and body. showing off her body. Yeah. Yeah. The end. Yeah. So, I mean, but the, the, the point I want to make, though, is also, 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 this is a Sir mix song. <laughs> so, like, 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 that is, like, that's the thing. It's, like, this, I don't think he, you know, I'm not going to speak for him, but I don't think he was, like, this is my grand statement of what i deeply and truly believe without any irony or self-reference and are we going to like, talk about how he's appropriating middle english culture with his name which is clearly a bastardization of sir lancelot yeah well sir i mean ryan there can be no appropriation of white culture okay sorry so sorry St like, i stand corrected yeah not to shut you down but it actually can't happen in reverse so okay. um but it's like all I really want to say is, is like, okay, like maybe you can argue that this song influenced certain people to do certain things, but like in reality, 
he is obviously not taking himself 100% seriously. It's like taking, I've heard critiques of Lana Del Rey song. It's like, she's advocating suicide. It's like, okay, I guess. Or domestic violence. Yeah. I guess Shakespeare is advocating suicide. And I guess Shelly and Keats are, well, I mean, I guess they kind of were, but like, (laughs) it's like, it's, but it's like, bringing it back to that yeah. conversation that you were having earlier about mm-hmm. conservatism, about yeah. about basically you and I both are very familiar with conservative circles that think that to portray something or to mention something means to endorse it fully and everything that's in it, right? So if there's yeah. violence in a movie or sex in a movie, they must be in, implicitly endorsing and glorifying those things all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think that we've gotten to a point where we're operating on such an emotional level all the time. And, and you talked about maturity earlier and such an immature level. And on such a, we, we want catharsis and everything's about how we feel. Everything's about who we are subjectively that we can take someone taking a picture of their face and their butt and saying LA face with an Oakland booty, which is obviously a joke at their own expense, right? Like mm-hmm. it's obviously like, Hey, I've got a big butt right now. Isn't this funny? It reminds me of the song that we all heard in 1992 and all danced to and all agreed that it made curvy girls feel a little bit better about themselves, but it was still objectifying to women, which is actually the more serious thing, you know, uh, in, mm-hmm. in our culture. It's like, can't we, can't we all just kind of like give each other, like cut each other, like a little bit of slack, I guess. Is, is oh, what you I'm mean asking. have a sense of humor? Or, and it's not just a sense of humor, but it's about, like, letting people be human and, like, not being – here's what it is. It's it's such a self-righteous and such a, a legalistic society we find ourselves mm-hmm. in, the new tribalism. And I think that's the root of a lot of it. The Beyonce thing, the Blake Lively thing, it's that we're always looking to pounce. We're always looking to be outraged. We're always looking to assert our own self-righteousness based on our own – ethnicity or our own gender or our own orientation that we're going to jump on somebody and we're going to prove how bad they are and how good we are because we are who we are and they are something different and how dare they Mm -hmm. say a thing that would reflect upon who we are or who they are and so at the end of the day this is like a very very conservative traditional self-righteous legalistic religious culture where everyone Mm -hmm. is looking to judge everyone else based upon these rigorous, rigid standards that we take as axiomatic, and we're willing to punish people and to make people feel awful when they weren't ever even really trying to hurt anybody in the first place. They just transcend our boundaries that we've set up for them. And for me, I think it really is just like, oh my gosh, where is the fun? You know, and like maybe that's me speaking from a place of privilege. Mm-hmm. But like, but Sir Mixalot seemed like he was having fun, and he was speaking from a place of male privilege where he was objectifying women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in some ways, it is funny, guys. Like that. I mean, that's the thing that I think is dishonest to try to get away from is that. There is something funny about making fun of, like, let's assume it's, it's, it's an, it's an, obviously it's an exaggeration. Obviously. Like the music video is people dancing on hills shaped like butts. Like (laughs) this is not a, you know, slice of life. It also starts with that, you know, the white girl saying, Oh my God, Becky. Every person in this, whether African American or white is a giant, overblown stereotype yeah. period yeah but that's what makes it funny because right. he's 
he's basically saying in our culture at the time, especially supermodels were like these weird mm-hmm. skeletal Nubian mm-hmm. creatures. Yeah. And like whatever happened to like the thicker women that I enjoy personally. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, if you read it to the nth degree, it's all women are body parts. And yeah. I only want, it's like, and all reality, women want is cars and for me to put my penis in them. Yeah. But in reality, it's making it's it's a it's a joke. It's an over exaggeration. It's or even better yet, it's like if you have a song about hating someone so much that you want to kill them, thank God you wrote a song and didn't actually kill them. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you have a song about the frustrations and the ridiculousness of a predominantly European controlled fashion and beauty industry that glorifies these weird tall women who have no breasts and no asses and everything like that and your particular culture in general doesn't seem to jive with that at all then it's almost like a funny light-hearted expression of that it's now i'm not saying like art can yeah. be an outlet to say things that we wouldn't say in other places yes and, and that... maybe sir mix a lot is a character that the person <laughs> i'm sure his birth name was not Sir Mix-a-Lot, and even if it was, it doesn't mean anything. Like, like he could have been, you know, like Biggie Smalls, for example, said some things that he never did, yeah. you know? And that doesn't mean that it's not real or that it's not emotionally rousing or true. It just means that when people make art, they're, they normally are not trying to make documentary films about their inner ethical lives. Like So in solidarity, Nick and I are going to buy Beyonce shirts mm-hmm. for the empowerment of women. We mm-hmm. are going to go hang out with Blake Lively and look at her butt and ha- and hang out with her baby. Um and in addition to that, what are what else are we going to do? I'm going to write Sir Mix-a-Lot a very strongly thoughtful letter letter that says, Hey, I like your intentions, but maybe in the future on your next hit single that I know is coming soon, please be a little bit more respectful to the trans community. Mm -hmm. And as a gay man, I find it very hard to Mm -hmm. participate in your music. I'm surprised that there wasn't a backlash against the backlash that said, actually, this whole song triggers me. Mm Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm surprised that didn't happen. I'm also surprised there was hasn't been a feminist backlash about the North Carolina bathroom law with feminists saying, "Do you know how many women have been raped? Like, do you know how triggering it's going to be to have actual men, actual male people who are even if they're dressed like women in the same restrooms, locker rooms, and shower facilities as women who have been um, assaulted?" Like, I'm surprised there isn't a huge trigger warning war going on right now on the internet about all these things. I'm sure there is. Okay. We just don't see it. I'm sure there is. It, it's like happening in the sewers. Yeah, it's an iceberg. Yeah. Well, we've, we've meandered a little bit. We've wandered around a little bit. It's a weird time uh, for the mean. It is episode 30. Um, we have no idea what we're going to come to you with next week. We just know that we're going to try to keep making these podcasts. Um, and we'll we'll have some awesome life updates for you soon. Uh, but for now, this is Ryan. And Nick. And you'll hear from us next week. Bye. Bye.